Greetings from the Commonwealth of Kwanzaa Society's talk show. This show has been created to bring to light the need for a centralized culture in the African-American community and to show how many of the struggles in the black community and African-American community are rooted in the lack of a centralized African-based culture in the black race as it exists in Western Hemisphere and in America. My name is Clarence Jones, your host today, and I will use my show to make a case for using the fall holiday of Kwanzaa, which I believe can be a vital asset to the black community as, as well as the United States of America. I want to turn that uh, holiday into a year-round platform for the many different kinds of black people to gather around. Kwanzaa would be taken and turned into a year-round system, like I said. And, of course, since I'm having a show dedicated to the, the utilization of Kwanzaa in the black race as the everyday instrument to unify, the question has to be asked, why Kwanzaa? Why is it important? What does it offer to black people that other things don't offer, such as the church, the black church, such as, you know, it's institutions, the, the home, uh, it's, it's hospitals, it's, if it has any, it's, it's schools, it's anything, any, of, any institution that houses black people, you know, why haven't they been able to unify the black race as it should be? And, of course, all those institutions are not geared to do that. They are not built to do that. Religion is, is not a cultural thing. It's a religious thing. Uh, Christianity was started in Africa, but Christianity was literally taken and usurped by Westerners, and it was turned into a product that uh, was completely Westernized, and, and it was literally used to, in the helping of enslavement, helping in the enslavement of Africans. And so initially, uh, the black church, and it makes sense. So when blacks were slaves, they were allowed to worship. And so what ended up happening is their places of worship literally became places of rebellion. So instead of, I guess instead of talking about God and you know the, whatever the, the whatever the slave owners wanted them to talk about, they talked about rebelling what they needed to do to get out of here and and maybe escape and help other people escape. Uh, I, I I don't ha I don't have specific evidence that the black church was directly part of the Underground Railroad. I doubt very seriously if it wasn't. So I, I definitely will say that. But once it was established, and I just learned this, I just always thought that the black church was given to the black race, the black slave population, to help in their enslavement, and that was the end of it. It was something that basically the plantation owners implemented to help you know, teach the slaves to be good slaves. That is not historically correct. Factually, the black church was initially a place of rebellion. Once the slave owners and plantation owners realized this, they then took the, the black church and Christian and religion from the slaves, re, reconditioned it, and repatented it, or re, you know, refurbished it, and gave it to the slave uh, slaves in their form that you know, obviously helped their plantation 
uh, their plantation economics. And so, of course, if it helps the plantation economics, it's not going to tell the slaves that you should work together to achieve, achieve your liberation. It's going to tell you, you know, stay slaves, be happy to be slaves, and God still loves you and your rewards uh, in, the, in the afterlife. So that's basically how the, the, the black church was used historically. And so, which brings me to why Kwanzaa would, could be such a pivotal instrument in helping the black population in America and ultimately helping America. Because our original institutions, that was never their job because they're not culturally based. And not only are they not culturally based, a major institution in the black community, of course, is the black church. And it was literally used by slave owners to help um, pacify the black population. So what does Kwanzaa bring? Kwanzaa, my point, Kwanzaa is African. It, uh, It is of Africa but not specific to a particular tribe of Africa. So it is inclusive to all African peoples. uh, Kwanzaa is a first fruits harvest celebration that does not infringe upon religion, um, nationality, geography, or ethnicity. The African peoples need an ancestry-based system that all black people can rally around. This, of course, would lead to better camaraderie, familiarity, which would lead to better continuity, then more camaraderie, which would lead to an enhanced ability to organize, coordinate as an effective group. And, of course, all of these processes together are what is called unity. And people, one thing that the black race has to do, people have to stop throwing around that word unity. It's almost a four-letter word. Um, Particularly, black people in particular, I don't know if other ethnic groups are this bad, but we basically antagonize each other, irritate each other, disrespect each other, jump on each other, and then when something comes up that's to some specific person's interest, now everyone starts yelling unity. That is not how other ethnic groups work, and that's what culture is. Other ethnic groups have a playbook. It's not like they don't actually Jews argue with more, each other more than anybody. But they also have a playbook. They also have rules. They have rules of engagement. They have rules of, of, of how to deal with conflict. I think most ethnic groups, I think most ethnic groups have this because that's what culture does, that no, nothing else can do for an ethnic group. It is a playbook that no one else has. Only you have this playbook. Only you have the signals in this playbook. Culture does that. And when you don't have a a centralized culture, you have an inability to work with one another. You have an inability to um, manage conflict. You have an inability to tell one another, I love you. You have an inability to say, I got you. You have an inability to say, you're not successful today, but we're supporting you. You have, a, you have an inability to tell people in your ethnic group what you did is wrong. You're going to be punished, but we're going to help you grow, and we're going to see this process of you growing, and we're going to be there at the end when you become who you need to be, and we're going to celebrate in your personal growth and success. For the most part, only culture can do that for any particular ethnic group. And so the lack of that 
has its consequences. And so the word unity is a serious word. We use that word too willy-nilly. Uh, it, it is an action word. It is a combination of all the things I talked about. It is a combination of camaraderie, familiarity, continuity, and an enhanced ability to organize and orchestrate as one effective unit. All of that is unity. Unity is a key ingredient that has been lacking in the black population. It has been at the root, and, and the lack of it has been at the root of many. It's, it's been at the root of many of its struggles and challenges, uh, and been a major impediment to its ability to to deal with its struggles, adversities, and its enemies as one force. So what I want to do with my show, I'm here to, to use this show to make a case for the need of a centralized culture in the black population and, the, and for the practicality of using Kwanzaa as that cultural platform. I'm going to cite history, my personal life as a pro athlete, current events, books I've read as illustrations of that need. Back to, I don't, you know, I keep talking about the practicality of Kwanzaa. Again, there are a lot of things that can be utilized to help black people be unified. I think Kwanzaa is good. Like I said before, it's, it's, it's you know, there's a Pan-Africanness to Kwanzaa in that it's not alienating Arabs uh, or Muslims from Christians. It's not... Um, it's not alienating people that have rejected both. You know, uh, I've heard one of my great um, educators say they're all shams, you know, Islam, Judaism, uh, and all the, Western, all the Western religions are essentially shams by a great African educator, you know, uh, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And what he's saying is they're all religions that have taken stuff basically from Africa, repackage them in a way to effectively help other people's causes. And that's how they see it. I'm not trying to change that. What I want to say is instead of telling a Christian he's wrong or a Muslim he's wrong or a Jew he's wrong, I'm saying this is something that we can gather around that's inherent to our ancestry as Africans. And I think Kwanzaa is a, almost a perfect vehicle for that. And that's why I want to take this show to make my case. And so when we, we look at the need of a central culture in the African-American community, uh, the need of the, 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 and the lack of that having absolute serious ramifications, we, we have to ask the question, what is culture? And why is it important? And let me give, let me cite a, a quick example before I get into the show. Um, you hear black people, and, and again, when I get into the format, I talk about how black people are quick to disrespect, but um, are always making sure you don't disrespect them. They don't mind disrespecting each other. But, man, if you disrespect them, um, you're going to have some problems. I heard a radio, uh, some pro football player, and he, you know, he was, what he was saying was true, but said in a way that was somewhat annoying. And he was talking about another football player having a wife, and um, 
he, whoever the football player is, his wife is gorgeous and she's a high-end woman and she's a woman that everyone would want to get with. She's a woman that everyone would want to be her wife, their wife, or girlfriend. So the football player, first of all, it's a football player talking about another football player. So there should be a fraternal mentality there anyway. But anyway, the football player basically said she only got with him because he has a lot of money. He's a square. He's a nerd. All the things are actually true, <laughs> oddly enough. Um, but, of course, it was disrespectful, unnecessary, and he could have said it in a better way, okay? The black female radio personalities, of course, jumped all over the football player for saying this, calling him a queen, saying you, he's a punk and basically, you know, calling him, call him, you know, talking about his manhood over the airways. Now, again, we, we, we cite this in the black, the discontinuity in the black population, quick to disrespect each other. Now, factually, the, the football player really did not need to, to go at the other football player like he did. He did it disrespectfully. What he said had a lot of merit to it. So the, the women tend to not like nice guys and particularly African-American females, high-end ones, tend to like thug street dudes. And the player he's talking about is a clean-cut American Phil Huxtable, Will Smith type of guy. And so what the football player was saying was actually correct. He just didn't have to say it like that. But it's interesting that the black females basically called him a faggot on the air. Now, most of our, I don't know if our listeners listening or, or, or aware what's, go, what's going on with young people on the Internet and on Facebook. The rappers and everyone, not just the rappers, it, it, it becomes more publicized because it's the rappers and professional athletes. They start talking junk and trash talking each other via space, uh, Facebook, which is actually very feminine in the first place. Then they end up shooting each other. This is this this is going on in our society today. And so this is definitely an example basically of black zombie nation. And this is an example of the natural discontinuity in the black race in North America. And so a central culture, centralized culture gives you a way of of working through conflict and antagonism from traditional methods, which means methods that have always worked. What the professional football players said was obnoxious, but true. Maybe they need to debate over it. What the women said was disrespectful to him. And my question is, are you willing to go out? Because it's not like he can't go to that, that radio station and say, okay, who called me a faggot? Who called me a queen? When they called him a queen, they were saying he was a man. You know, he was a, they would basically call him a faggot. So he could have came to that radio station and said, okay, say it to my face. This stuff happens. This literally happens. All right? Now, those black females probably would have had some male standing up for them and don't hit a black female type of thing. But all this gets into the natural discontinuity in the black race that I see culture as being a vehicle 
or an instrument to mitigate and marginalize this stuff. One thing is for certain, our ability to gather and actively pursue our own interests is not strong. It's clearly not strong. And so when you look at that, you've got to look at what are the little things that cause this? What are the little things, what little things exist that are manifestations or examples of what I'm talking about? This is. And so uh, we're talking about the, the need of culture, how important a centralized culture is, and the lack of a centralized culture. So that we have to ask the question, then what is culture? And why is it important? Like we said before, culture gives you um, – it gives you, it's a playbook for an ethnic group. It tells you what's right. It tells you what's wrong. It is, and, it, and it's an, a playbook for a company, a sports team, a nation. It's, a, it's a, for a fraternity, for a college. A culture impacts all of that thing. And then, you know, another thing about culture, I think it's one of the only things that is literally 24 hours. I don't know of anything that has an impact on a population. Even a law, you have to go inside. And, like, when when I drive 55 miles an hour, I drive a little bit above the speed limit. When I'm inside, that doesn't affect me. It doesn't impact me. You know what I'm saying? I'm not driving, so I'm not worried about the speed limit. You know, that it's a law. You know, I'm, I'm in a state where I can carry a firearm or I can't. It's the law. But when I'm not out and about, I'm not thinking about that law. Whereas culture, it's more, you know, you're because you're you're involved in a culture when you're living. You 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 know, you may have a culture where you pray before you go to sleep. You may have a culture where you pray when you wake up. You may have a culture where you have to come together as a family to pray before dinner. You may have a culture where you have to recite your your daily, you know, affirmations from your history. You know, culture does that. It's all, it's, you know, really, it's, it's total, it's totally, you know, you're totally ingrained into your life, your culture does. So culture is, is that invasive, I guess the word is. Uh, culture, because it's a coming together of shared values, beliefs, customs, education, entrepreneurship, acquiring symbols of status. All of that's a, a, a part of a culture. So some cultures value education. Some cultures don't. Some cultures value things. Some, culture, some cultures value physical prowess. And I always talk about me as a football player because of my physical stature. I was very strong in my upper body, but not as strong in my lower body. As a football player, I was forced to be a technical football player, technique. Uh, my value system was more I wanted to be a physical, physically dominating athlete. I didn't want technique to be. But since I was not, you know, I, I was not gifted with a powerful lower body, my attack and my approach to the game was very technical. But my value system, what I thought was important, what I considered real football was a very physical, physical, physically based attacking football. That is absolutely my value system. That's what I considered great football. The other thing is fine if it helps you win and gets you a job 
But if I had my choice, um, it, it, I would just knock the hell out of you, and that would be the end of it. And so that's a value system that was given to me because everyone that I was around, coaches, my father and everyone else, professional coaches, Bill Parcells, had this tough, hard-nosed, physical approach to football. To the, and, and so I was so ingrained with this that even though I was not physically built to utilize that approach to football, it still was, it, it still was my value system. So that's when we talk about culture and, and giving you symbols of status, what's important, culture does that. And so uh, culture must be learned. You're not born with it. Someone has to teach it to you. That's why it's very important. So you're not just waking up and coming around and know, you know, an, an Asian person doesn't wake up and knows the, the, the you know, he doesn't, he, they're not born knowing Confucian principles. It's taught to them. They're not born knowing in Japan, you don't go in someone's house uh, with your shoes on. It's disrespectful. It's culture. You want to honor it. See, I guess in Asian and Japanese, particular Japanese culture, when someone invites you into their home, you want to show respect and appreciation. So one way to do that is taking your shoes off. All right. Interesting enough, <laughs> unfortunately for me, I remember 1995, um, some my wife brought someone to our home, our condo in St. Louis. I was with the Rams, and the I might have told the story, but yeah, I, I did. But anyway, the lady brought her husband in, and it, the husband's shoes were all muddy, and he didn't take his shoes off, and you know was in my house with his shoes on, and, and they were muddy. So it was no big deal to me. It wasn't my house, you know, vacuum it. They were, the, the, the women, you know, she was cool with the wife, and they were coming over. But he, when I, nice guy, when I met him, he was nice guy, and he gave me good advice. I had a good, you know, rapport with a guy, but he saw me play. He was not impressed. So now I'm not saying that he – because he wasn't that impressed with me as a football player, he purposely came into my house with muddy shoes. But I wonder if I was Michael Jordan, would he have done that? Probably not. He probably, you know, it would have probably bothered him more to come in my home and disrespect it like that with his muddy shoes. Now, not, me being, I was a young kid and didn't care one way or the other. Now I wouldn't let a man come in my house like that. You know what I'm saying? Because I know you disrespected me. And I wouldn't have my wife bringing people to my house with the NFL stuff attached to it. So what happens, a lot of people would be, they would basically meet my wife, but because I'm the NFL guy, really want to come in to meet me and to meet the player. And, you know, the, we're, the, we're the Rams. The Rams just moved to St. Louis in 95. So, you know, that's, that's in someone's mind, that's kind of a celebrity. But, you know, not really in my mind because I hadn't done anything major yet. But either way, they're coming into your home because of you. Even though it's your wife meeting this other woman, and so you should make sure they respect your home. 
And so now, interesting enough, as I life as you you look, you know more, you do more. I definitely had that happen a couple of times in my homes throughout my life, where people, because of their egos, have disrespected my home. So, all I'm saying, that's just to bring to light the Asian way of making sure the Asian custom of taking shoes off and and being very respectful when someone invites you to your home. And for the people who are the hosts, need to be gracious as well. That seems, a very, that seems to be a very important aspect of Japanese culture. And that, of course, was taught to them, you know, by that can't be, you're not born with that. It has to be taught to you. In Asian culture now, and, and this always, I, it's, it's funny we have this COVID stuff, and um, I absolutely saw it in Japan first. But um, before there were the t- pandemics, you would see large numbers of Japanese people, and I think Koreans and, and, and Chinese as well. But definitely, I first, I'm pretty sure I first saw it in Japan. They would wear masks 20 years ago. They would wear masks um, 10 years ago. And come to find, listening to the people in the news, they do that out of common courtesy. So it wasn't a pandemic. They may have a cold. They may have the flu. And they really don't want to give it to other people. And so that's a custom. That's a courtesy that Asians have for each other. That is taught to them by culture. And so that is why culture is very important. Culture uses uh, symbols, artifacts, flags, symbolic things, metaphors uh, of their humanity. Uh, that you know things that represent their ancestor. Culture is a center point of groups of its rituals of birth, death, and and uh, and connect to its heritage. It's a connecting point to its heritage. It's a connecting point to future uh, to previous generations. It actually is a connecting point where li- culture is literally a connecting point between past generations, current generations, and future generations. Culture is very important. (laughs) So my culture helps me to connect to Joneses who are not even here. And Joneses that are not here, you know, they are ancestors. And so that culture is a connecting point. And I guess I am a vehicle. I'm simply a vessel of these cultural beliefs and uh, connecting points. Wow. I never thought about that. So culture is important. Uh, Culture is the economic strategic planning for a race or ethnic group. How to, as far as acquisitions, business startups, culture helps in that process. Uh, I think the North Koreans have their own banking system. So people get pissed off at North Koreans abilities to start businesses in black communities in which black community, black people can't do it. And for some reason, they, well, first thing, they have two advantages. They have their own business and banking system, be it personal as far as cooperative family, and maybe there's a banking system in North Korea that helps them do this. Another thing they have going for them is all South Koreans, and when we talk about Koreans, 
North Koreans behind a communist bloc. So they no. So when we talk about South Koreans, um, you're talking about all South Korean males have to serve in the military. I think because they're right under North Korea, that has the North Korea basically says all all Korea is North Korea in, as far as they're concerned. Just not today, but eventually they're going to do that. So basically, all of Korea should be communist, and that South Korea being democratic. It's all that is, 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 they consider that simple imperialism, simple Western civilization controlling their country, not actually half their country believes in democracy. They don't see it that way. So South Koreans are, are, have to live in a state of readiness, military preparedness, so that all of the males in South Korea have been in the military. And of course, that's an added advantage to starting a business because one thing to, to have success in business takes a lot of personal discipline, personal, positive, wealth-creating habits. And so that's an added advantage that Korean, South Korean culture gives that aids them in starting businesses in black community as well as the business, their, their banking, their own self-banking system that aids them in creating businesses in black neighborhoods that black people don't have. Educating and to obtain, you know, uh, culture helps with uh, educating to uh, obtaining high-paying jobs. We talk about uh, turn-of-the-century poor neighborhoods that are housed by Jews, Italians, and Irish, and out of those same neighborhoods going to the same public schools, produce, the Jews produce doctors, lawyers, and dentists. The Italians produce tradesmen, construction workers, and the Irish population produce policemen and firemen and politicians. Same neighborhood, poor neighborhood, same public schools. Culture gives you that. Uh, culture is the transporting of the history of a race and its identities. Culture tells you who we are both good and bad. We are the chosen people. That's what uh, Jews see, see themselves as. Uh, in India, they have people that are called the untouchables. So untouchables are typically dark. You're darker-hued Indians. And so you're untouchable. Uh, and and um, I see this as, un people might not see this as related, but I do. Uh, the great One of the great football programs in, in NFL history, and I've talked about it on the show, are the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they had that one team, one coach, one quarterback, primarily the same team, won four Super Bowls. And one reason uh, one of the people, one of their great players, it was Mean Joe Green or, or Ronnie Lott or or Lynn Swan, whoever it was, the Pittsburgh Steelers were historic scrubs. They were historically a, a, a low-end program, a low-end franchise. They hadn't won championships before. And so what Lynn Swan or someone said, the one thing that was an advantage for them, they felt no connection to the losing of the Pittsburgh Steelers' past. They knew they were going to do something big. Now, 
Obviously, culture does the opposite of that, but bottom line is you can have a culture that says you are the chosen people, or you can have a culture that says we're the Pittsburgh Steelers, we never win. You know, culture does that. And, and, and in the Pittsburgh Steelers, they basically created their own culture. Since you have a culture of losing, we're going to create our own culture, which is we win. And so culture does that. Uh, but it is culture. It's the economic, political, social, psychological, spiritual rallying point of an ethnic group. Uh, with all, with, with if you take an ethnic group and you disconnect it from all of these elements, you make it virtually defenseless. Culture is a template for a race. Without it, it cannot exist as a cooperative entity. Uh, culture is a collective spirit of a race. It teaches the race to love, educate, mentor, punish transgressors, as we, as we talked about before. Correct. Culture, so you, you know, just like the people, I heard a man uh, and his father was a New York City police officer. And uh, he, and, uh, he worked for the NYPD for 30 years, I think. And he basically said, you really can't have, no race should be able to be, he, and this is a New York City police officer, that's right, he said that. If a black defendant is in court, no white person should be on the jury. If a white person is defendant, probably he said most likely he definitely said if you if you go to if you go to court and you're black, the jury should not they should not allow any white person on the jury. Basically, this is a 30 year NYPD officer. He said if a black person, you know. If a black person runs a red light, if it's an all-white jury, they're going to vote the death penalty for them. If a white person does the same thing, they're going to always have leniency. This is a NYPD police officer that said that because now he's been in the court for years dealing with it, that there is no, there because of their fear, he's saying because of their racism or fear of black men or what have you, when they're in a legal situation where they're asked to judge impartially about legal criminal matters, they're literally not capable of doing that, and they are consistent. They can be consistently counted on to not be impartial. This is what a New York, New York City police officer, his son, told me. And so when we talk about culture, is a very is an extremely important aspect to correct because when other people correct you, they're not necessarily going to give you quarter. They're not necessarily going to be impartial, they're, particularly if they're afraid of you. They're not necessarily going to be fair. So it's best that you have your own systems in place to which you correct yourself. Uh, culture helps take advantage of opportunities, as we see with um, uh, Dr. Thomas Sewell talks about that uh, ethnic groups come to this country and they, they progress quicker than African-Americans. He gets into the fact that usually they come from specific parts of that country. They have culture 
binding them so they essentially have a stronger playbook. With the black population being decentralized in these areas, these ethnic groups have their own playbook. They have ways of managing conflict. They have ways of organizing. They have ways around race. They have their own language. They have their own communication system. I talked about this before. When my friends were at a, uh, a, a, um, a, a county fair, and this was in the 80s, and the Central Americans and, and my friends were bothering the Central It was one guy. He was bothering the Central Americans. And so it was all, all the Central Americans and kind of a couple of my buddies showing off. So when he wouldn't leave the man alone, the man yelled something in Spanish, and the whole, the whole, the the whole, um, which is was it was populated primarily by Central Americans. The whole county fair turned on all my boys, all my friends. There were like five or six of them, and I guess these guys were fair-minded. He was going to fight the guy one-on-one. The punk-ass dude that was from my hometown wouldn't fight the guy. So you show what a punk he is, but this is what a centralized culture can do. It takes it, it helps you take advantage of opportunities because you have a playbook. See, these might have been poor people, these might have been people that work in menial labors, but they were they knew that they were one group and they operated as one group. That allows you to take that allows you to take advantage of economics of an area. So just like my sister, apparently uh, another, another ethnic group that are coming to America, that they've been coming to America, but they're coming at another level, are the Indians. So the Indians tend to be coming to America not as uh, common laborers. They tend to come in as human capital, high-end, dentists, doctors, um, lawyers, you know, uh, engineers. And so they take, like I said, it helps you take advantage of opportunities. So what you see with the Indians, when one person, when you see one family, you quickly start seeing other families. So what they're doing is they're all moving to this one neighborhood. They're all moving to this one condo area. They're all moving to this apartment area, and they're creating their own ecosystem, which allows them to then go out in the America and obtain their interests and their quality of life. And, of course, they're networking with each other. They tell them, go here. Uh, no, go to this people. They don't like us. Or go here. They don't mind us. So this, is, this gives a, a strategic advantage for people that you would think, first of all, their groups are smaller, and they just got here, but this, their centralized culture gives them a, an extreme advantage, particularly over African Americans. Um, they, the, the culture to, again, it can be used to take care of old, uh, to take care of the old culture, uh, helps in that. It helps you forgive transgressions. Culture helps to project manage. It tells you, you know, it tells you, okay, the boys at this age, he should be doing this. He should be doing rights of manhood at 13. He, the girls should be doing this after they begin ministration, menstruation. Or 21-year-olds should be doing something. Culture does all of that for you. It gives you a playbook, and it project, manage, project manages individuals. 
So culture is critical in these things. Culture is the only way for an ethnic group to be one. So culture has a very, a very important, a pivotal role in a, a ethnic group or anyone's any any large organization. Culture is that key, that fundamental, that foundation to its ability to you know survive and its ability to to prosper. In any ecosystem, its own ecosystem and other people's ecosystem. So, uh, and there are certain things that only culture can do. Only culture can give you a serviceable, uh, serviceable dynamic between genders. Only culture can give and can organize you around economics. Only culture can properly distribute, uh, distribute life-saving societal developing knowledge. So, what someone tells you um, in a culture may be a food that's geared towards your ethnic group in that region of the earth, and that knowledge and information may be 300 years old. It may be 100 years old. It may be 50 years old. Or they may know that the ecosystem in that area has changed, so that old way of doing this food, that old way of doing things doesn't work in this ecosystem. So culture can really make a group very efficient. And, it, and only culture can do certain things. Only culture can create symmetry between classes within a race. And so the, the streets has very, and I, I have that written down, the streets has, has very little human capital. I, I, I might hedge that a little bit. You know, human capital is considered specialized knowledge that aids people. So human capital would be an, an engineer, a lawyer, doctor, a salesman, a project manager. All of that would be um, specialized knowledge that goes on top of general labor. So your labor is your ability to work and, and do things and, and, you know, follow rules, put things together, build something, chop something down, mow the lawn. You're using your physical body to do that. Human capital helps manage that, organize that, makes it easier, it multiplies that. That's what human capital does. And so when I said, you know, and one thing is factual, many of the great revolutionaries in history were actually of the upper classes. So when you take Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., when you take um, even um, Nelson Mandela, when you take Che Guevara, when you take Castro, George Washington, uh, you're talking all lawyers. You're talking all landowners. And so if you are an ethnic group, and as the black community is, we just talked about Will Smith hitting the dude because he said something about his wife, but really Will was a corny, nerdy guy, black guy, that doesn't want to have that label, I know how that is, and so he felt he had to act on it. That's because he feels that alienation from black people that says you're not one of us. And it's interesting, they basically were saying that about Barack Obama before he won the presidency. Um, so that, that natural disconnect in the black community, when most of the revolutionaries 
were of the upper classes. Now, I heard another black leader, a black educator, say many of the great um, uh, rebels and revolutionaries were educators, too. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring that to, you know, I'll talk about that as well. But for the most, yeah, to be an educator, you typically have to go to college. So that going to college typically has socioeconomic ramifications behind that, meaning people that usually come from some type of wealth to get the funds to go to college. But either way, a, a lack of continuity between classes and caste in an ethnic group is an extreme advantage to anyone that wants to take advantage of that ethnic group, anyone that wants to take the resources that that ethnic group possesses, meaning if they're in a country or on an island and they have some resources, if there is no, no continuity between the classes, that's something that the, of the outsiders can exploit. So only culture can give you that continuity. Only culture can create uh, symmetry between the, the uh, uh, between genders. We said that before, and um, so culture is a very important aspect, and in, in there are things that only culture can do. And so, if we are going to talk about culture and its importance, as I've just done this, uh, how has it hurt the African American community historically? And so we now will move on into that aspect of this podcast, of this show. And so let's look at black civilization. So like I said, the lack of a black a centralized African culture has been, a, has been to the detriment of the black race. I believe that ultimately... A unified black community would be a stronger community ethnically, uh, politically, and economically. I believe that would have even bigger ramifications to the country. I really believe that. And so we now we need to understand how the lack of a centralized culture has you know, has hurt the African-American community historically. Where has that come from? And so now I want to talk about black civilization. And, um, and, and so we now know when we talk about black civilization, we also talk about what blacks did thousands of years ago. Blacks built their own civilizations. They had their own armies. Uh, they had their own education systems. They were... You know, they were, there wasn't, they were like the Chinese 5,000 years ago. 5,000 years ago, if you wanted to get education, you want to get educated, you went to Africa. If you wanted to meet powerful people, you went to Africa. And, and it wasn't just one part of Africa. There were great African nations and great African societies, great African empires 5,000 years ago. Um, Dr. Uh, Henry Clark, John Henry Clark, said of Africa, and I think he said this of a lot of indigenous people, but particularly Africa, it literally was the most humane societies that's ever been on earth. Uh, they had no prisons because no one went to jail. They didn't have old folks' homes 
because everyone took care of the old. They had, they did not have foster homes, apparently. If a child didn't have a parent, that child was incorporated into the tribe, tribal community. And so they were more, John Henry Clark said this in his writings, he's a great black historian, and um, this was black true African history. So now we're going to get into how a disruption of that has impacted its, uh, its current, you know, excuse me, its current direction and what caused that. So, excuse me, coughing up a little bit. Black civilization, uh, the great author, Chancellor Williams, wrote in his book, The Destruction of Black Civilization, that the West African population who occupied that area were, in fact, refugees. Now, West Africa, most African Americans, their ancestry, our ancestry, is of West Africa. So that's down that West Coast of Africa. That's Angola, Nigeria. That's um, Zaire. That's uh, South Africa, too, I guess. And uh, I think Mozambique, Benin, all that Senegal, all those are African nations that we have ancestral relationships to. And so in Chancellor Williams' book, he's saying that those were, in fact, refugees from Central and East Africa. Uh, they, at that place, that's so now we're talking three to 5,000 years ago. In these areas, they built their own societies and civilizations with an unknown centralized language and culture. Because of natural disaster uh, and immigration from Arab populations from Asia Minor, they began migrating across the continent to the western portion of the continent. As this happened, they began splitting up, going into different groups, different parts of western Africa, forming their own tribes with their own tribal languages and culture. That's a critical part right there. As I said before, once you create your own language distinctive from another language, you are now another people. So, and I asked this to a Liberian, African, if you're all in Africa and you have a tribe less than a mile away from you, but it's another tribe, which means it has its own language, it has its own culture, and it actually has its own religion. What they call witch doctors and stuff like that is the spirituality of Africans. And so they didn't have a unified church, so basically every tribe had, had its own religion because it had customs based on their own spiritualities. So that tribe that's less than a mile away from this Liberian man um, had its own language different from his, had his own culture different from his, and had his own religion different from his. And, of course, I asked him, does that make them another race from you? 
And he told me it absolutely does. And of course, that was a draw, drop, a jaw dropping event because, of course, that means you're a bunch of your hundreds of nations. So you, in, in one country, therefore, you have no ability to come together for your own defense, which, of course, is what happened. Okay. Uh, as the group split up, that migrated to West Africa, West Africa from East Africa, the tri- and created their own tribal languages and cultures, with one African country having up to 100 different tribes, having no central state, European incursion was unchecked. Not only was it unchecked, and instead of unifying to deal with the common threat posed by the slave traders, the tribes in Western Africa began warring on each other uh, to get slaves to sell to the slave traders of, of uh, the European slave traders. The fragmentation in this race has created a factional um, black man that has not needed to build a civilization or maintain a civilization in 5,000 years. And, of course, there are consequences of this. Okay? And so he... The result of not having to, to build our own civilization, I, it affects our value system. Because if you're maintaining your own societies, if you're maintaining your own civilizations, all the people that come after you, you have to prepare to do what? Maintain and build civilizations. This now affects your value system. And so uh, we, value, we don't value knowledge like we should. We don't value information. We pursue mating rights um, instead of attempting, and, and the black man, instead of attempting to dominate his ecosystem, pursues mating rights with black females as if he dominates his ecosystem, meaning he's not the king of anything, but he can pretend he's a king by getting multiple women. And, and we, we, we have black men that literally think getting women pregnant is part of his manhood, regardless of if he can take care of them or not. I've met several black men with seven kids. I've met a black man with seven kids that was just painting in my house. And so he admitted that he was stupid to do that. But th- this was not uncommon. But if you were maintaining your own civilization, you wouldn't think like that. Or someone would prepare you, would give you the knowledge necessary to, to maintain a civilization. So they value physical prowess instead of societal dominance and property and wealth creation. They question all black authority. Again, hard for, you know, when you're around black men, we have no problem questioning each other. Um, they, they're naturally subservient to regular authority. So we never challenge uh, when, when bad things are done to us within our community. You know, the, the black man is quick to actually not do anything before he'll do something, which, of course, makes it worse. Things progress a lot further than they should because there's usually a lot of inaction. So 
What does this mean? These are the consequences. We're talking about we're getting into the consequences of not having a centralized culture. The consequences of the black man not needing to build and maintain his own civilization, he has become remedial in the area of military science, power creation, and acquisition, and not even understanding how all of them work and making him vulnerable to predatory ethnic groups and a marginal ally at best. And so this is, uh, we, we have, we have what we call, what I call black zombie nation. The so-called black community is quick to antagonize and alienate and disrespect one another with an emphasis on not being disrespected. This ecosystem, this is what I was talking about with the football player and the, the black male football player and the, and the radio announcers on, you know, getting into that little bit of a back and forth. That could have easily got out of hand. He, the guy, the, the radio station was kind of an older generation radio station, so he probably didn't hear it, but he could easily gotten back to the dude. But that's a natural discontinuity in the black race. And so it emphasizes not, it, it is quick to antagonize, but it emphasizes not being disrespected. So in general, black people do not mind saying whatever they want to say to you and about you, but they're really mindful. They're really on, uh, on you, and, 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 and you better not say nothing disrespectful to them. So that's a natural nature that you can observe in the black community. The ecosystem is hostile. This ecosystem of hostile discontinuity manifests itself in what I call black zombie nation. And so black zombie nation is what, I, what it sounds like. These, we are walking people that do not understand. We're walking. We have arms and legs. We're moving. But we're not necessarily thinking. And certainly not thinking in the way that we've traditionally thought. Now, one reason for that is we're in an ecosystem that's foreign to us. We are in an ecosystem that's not necessarily geared towards us. Now, we're prospering. We're doing very well in the ecosystem. I like my, my iPhone like everyone else does. I like my Netflix like everybody else does. I've certainly eaten more double cheeseburgers than most of the people that I know. But as much as I like that, I'm not of Western civilization. So I have to ask the question, what does Western civilization do for me? What does it do for other people like me? Black zombie nation is a, has no consciousness of that. They're just angry or, 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 or with ways that have been given to them by other people and you know, ways that have, has not worked for them, really. And um, so if it hasn't worked for you, why would you, you know, why would you sell out to it? Why would you put all your eggs in that basket? You should at least try to understand your ancestry, understand your greatness, and kind of cult and try to cultivate that with others like you, and and create your own economic and political, you know, movement from that, or create your own little ecosystem with that. But Black Zombie Nation is black folks that just aren't aware or interested in those realities. And so there's, there are examples of that. And so there are ramifications to that, and which, of course, is the ramifications of not maintaining 
your own societies and civilization. Black zombie nation is, well, one of the main reasons we're losing um, the reproductive system. Remember, part of the black people's um, black zombie nation and not having to maintain their own societies and civilizations, they're marginal allies. They're marginal allies. The Roe v. Wade, the ability of a woman to have control of her body, was basically over in 2016. And so it's pretty obvious that they're going to definitely take away a woman's right to choose an abortion if she gets pregnant. And But you can see that then by who President Trump was putting into the Supreme Court. So let's go back to that presidential election and who really didn't turn out in the numbers that were expected. And that's, of course, the black population. Numbers, numbers came out, but not to the you got to realize the numbers came out, but not at the rate that it should have come out based on what was going on in the country. You had a polarizing country that because of fear and anxiety and, and things going on that were out of our control, you had a lot of people that said, you know, I don't know what the hell is going on. Let's go back to this. You know, basically let's go back to the horse and buggy. And you know what? The horse and buggy, truthfully, was good for a lot of people in this country. It just wasn't good for everyone. And, you know, that the number of people, that number is actually growing. But, you know, you, you see that, but, and you had that polarization. You got to realize when there was half the country was, in 2016, half the country was Zeke Island. And, you know, so you saw the antagonism, you saw the the fear of the future, and the black population need, needed to have come out in droves to vote for that election. When they did not, that allowed President Trump to get in with a voting block that was scared and said, hey, we, we, there's too much change going on, and we don't see the benefit for us. So, of course, Trump did, you know, what he was going to do, what he said he would do, and he started to roll back things. He could not have done that if the black population had come out and voted like he should have. And the reality of that was it started with Obama. It really didn't start in 2016. It started in 2010. President Obama was uh, neutralized by 2010. With the, um, there was a, a, a movement to take back America. The perception was America was being taken over and by liberals and left-wing um, stuff that wanted to go away from traditional America. And so that process started in 2010. So it's 2022. So 12 years, it's been an incremental movement to take control and roll back um, progress made for, you know, originally alienated portions of America. That, was, that didn't just happen in one ele election. That, ha that happened incrementally. So the question has to now be, where was the black people? Where was the black community? They were asleep. <laughs> That's where they were. You know, they were zombies. It was clear that this was going to happen. You could see it happening then by who President Trump was putting in 
to the Supreme Court, and he put in 300 uh, other federal judges that uh, have taken basically taken away the constitutionality of the federal court. So, and of course, one of those things was rolling back Roe v. Wade. I bring that to 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 make a point about Black Zombie Nation and it being a marginal ally at best, and how the discontinuity of the black race actually helps a very... So you got to realize, when you talk, we're really not talking about race like people think. We're really talking about property, people against people without property. And the discontinuity in the black community and black population allows the property people to not have to do much to protect their own interests. It's not, they're not wrong for not liking big government. They're not wrong for saying, I don't know what the hell's going on here. Um, they're, but they're in protecting their own interests. They've thrown a lot of us under the bus and they don't have a problem with it. And now my point is the reason they were able to do that is because of the reactionariness of the black community, the inability of the black community to mobilize and organize. And at some point it's, it's not about mobilizing and organizing. That's the whole point. Culture, you never have to organize and mobilize. You're already creating your own power base. That's what a culture does. So the lack of a black community's um, centralized culture has been a two-pronged consequence. It's not good for the black community. It's not good for the black race. And any poor woman, any poor woman of any color, now will not be able to have reproductive control. Instead of, you know, let, let's, instead of the, the minority group in America being forced to come up with other more equitable ways to pursue their interests, they simply have been able to take over aspects of American government, aspects of America, with very little resistance and, and, and to protect their own small interests. And again, this didn't happen in one election. This happened incrementally over 12 years uh, with, with, you know, with basically <laughs> Donald Trump showing his hands in the 2016 election. More black people should have came out in that election that literally voted for the Obama election. And more black people should have understood the significance of that election, and they simply did not. And so making them a marginal ally at best, and this is what Black Zombie Nation does. You have people that don't understand the big picture. They don't understand the game. They don't have a, they have a reactionary point to it. Um, and, and to be honest, activism will always be relevant because anyone that stands up and says there's a problem here takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of commitment. And these people should be, you know, com you know, commended for what they do, but it's reactionary. And when you had a constitutional Supreme Court, what that means, a constitutional Supreme Court means you have a lot of people on that court that are going to, which takes a lot of discipline, to be honest with you, I'm going to, I'm going to weigh along the lines of the Constitution. I'm going to take my own opinions and beliefs out. I'm going to completely rely on the Constitution. How constitutional is this issue? 
and I'm going to let that be the judge. And so poor people always had the Constitution to kind of fall back on. If you're, so if you come home and your kids are glowing in the dark, you always had the Constitution to fall back on, meaning if you can prove a country, a company, is dumping some stuff illegally in the water that's making your child glow in the dark, eventually when you get to, no matter who they're paying, no matter who that corporation's hiring to run for office, once you get to theoretically, and I think this is how it's kind of worked, theoretically, once you get to that Supreme Court, they're going to say, yeah, well, you know, what you're doing is unconstitutional. You may have given me money. You may, I may, I may, we may belong to the same party, but what you're doing is unconstitutional. What you're doing is affecting the life and liberty of other Americans based on your special interests. That's actually unconstitutional and immoral. So a lot of people have been able to take advantage and be rewarded by that for the last 100 years in court cases. Well, when the court is made unconstitutional, you now don't have that advantage. So the whole point of being reactionary, meaning people do things that are wrong, immoral, and, and illegal, now you get a chance to prove that in a court of law, and then someone will say, you know what, I don't necessarily like you, but your point is right. It is unconstitutional. I'm going to rely on I'm going to favor with you. We're going away from that. We're literally going away from that. And one of the major reasons we're going away from that is the inactivity and the reactionariness of the black population in America. It's not just the 1% or the property owners taking more and taking more. We're giving it from our inactivity. So remember this, other ethnic groups build their own economic power base. We do not. It is not connected. And so this is something, this is, this is what I call black zombie nation. This has to be dealt with. The so-called black community is uh, extremely susceptible to gentrification because they have generations leaving and because they have not established a, and maintained their own self-sustaining eco economies that makes the politically vulnerable to law changes and redistricting. So what that means is um, what happens in America, in black domination, you may, and now it could be north or south, you may have a traditional black community that um, the people raise their kids, they got good working jobs, the kids went to college, and they, they're doing well in college, but they really have nothing to come home to because the black community doesn't, it's just a neighborhood of black, of black people that doesn't control anything economically. So it's not bunches of black businesses. It's not bunches of black businesses around the area. So the kids go to college or they go, they're looking for opportunity. They tend to, they are basically forced to leave. I think a lot of people do this, but since blacks, because you got to go where the job is, but since blacks were, you know, typically ushered into other areas, specific areas called ghettos, and most of the black community, particularly 
from the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, you have all of these black communities that are traditionally black communities. Those kids, those communities don't necessarily have large numbers of businesses in those business, in those communities, so they don't have the political clout that they probably should. With their kids leaving, so it's not like the kids are going to college, going to the military, and coming back to that community because there is not as many resources there. And there, are not many, there are not as many jobs there. And so, and there are traditionally segregated communities, so all the black communities, all the older population basically lives there. All right? This creates problems, uh, makes them susceptible. I guess it's like, very much like imperialism. Uh, you know, they don't have the human capital. Uh, what they do own, they don't have that collective power base because, um, for whatever reason, they don't have the they don't have the they don't have the economics going for them as well as the ownership. They have ownership, but for whatever reason, they're unable to leverage that politically. And I think culture is a major part of that, in my opinion. But it's definitely an example. This is definitely a consequence of black zombieism. That the the black kids even so what's going on? It's a brain drain. It's a human capital drain. Those kids would typically stay in those communities and run the political uh, systems and economic systems, but they're forced to leave. And then you also have people who you know, and, and so we have high drug uses in, in these areas and some of these areas, uh, what's the school, you know, what's the education rate. So you don't necessarily have other black people wanting to move into them. So now what ends up happening is someone, some big company, this black, this predominantly black area may be close to something. See, a lot of these areas were close to the cities 50 years ago because a lot of the white people had the white flight, that's right, and they were moving to the suburbs. And so the white people, their children, want to live closer to the city because of gas prices and everything. And so now that makes those traditional black, traditionally black communities a very good economic opportunity for developers, um, big chain, you know, um, like, like, like targets, big chain brands in in Amazon, you know, Dick Sporting Goods, any any kind of business that want to be close to those social economics, which are young professionals, wants to they want to go where those professionals are going. I'm pretty rudimentary with this, but this is what happened. This is gentrification. So they start buying homes in the traditionally black neighborhoods, this eventually starts driving up the tax rates in the traditionally black neighborhoods. Now, the traditionally black neighborhoods do not have the political clout for whatever reason, and so they start redistricting around. They're raising the taxes. They're, they're having roads go through. They're taking stuff out. They're making the, the neighborhood unsustainable for the black people and sustainable for the high-income white professionals. And so that's how 
the gentrification, you know, takes place. But part of that is the, is it, this gets into black zombieism because part of this is the fact that you have the inactivity and the discontinuity in the black population. So you have the lack of e- economics. There are not enough black businesses in that area to sustain the people. The kids who are successful don't have a job to come back to in the traditional black community, all right? Then you have the people who, who fail at the school level, which could be a number for a number of reasons. They're criminalized, uh, going to jail. So you have a lot of old people that are retiring, and, um, and so you just don't have a vibrant, active, and certainly not proactive area that can defend itself against acquisitions and incursions from other groups, which is so much like, like Africa. <laughs> wow. It's so much like traditional West, traditional, I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm just laughing at the irony that this is very much gentrification is very much like colonization in Africa and the ramifications of the actual slave trade. So um, that, uh, but that, that, a major part of that is absolutely the slave, you know, the slave, the, the lack of a centralized culture in the African-American community. And um, anyway, we're going to come back to this next week. I like it. We're, we're, we're staying on Black Zombie Nation. Um, I'm going to get more into that next week. Well, I tell you what, I appreciate your time today, and I'd like to thank everyone um, for listening to me and listening to me rant. I, I thank you for your time today. We're going to close out the show. I hope everyone has a great week. Thanks again. I'm your host, Clarence Jones, signing off. Take care.